we are a, uh, a hardwired people that long for connection. We long to belong, if you could put it in kind of a simple phrase. And um, that shows up in so many different places. Uh, it's just incredible, and you just kind of start to look for it. I'm going to show you what I mean uh, in, in, in just a second here. Here's what I want you to do. Um, I would like, if you are rooting for a team, if you care who wins a certain football game coming up in a few hours, I'd like you to stand up. Just stand up right now. If you're rooting for a certain team, if, if you care who wins, let's put it that way. If you care, stay
some of dislocated things. And, uh, and I've also sat with my wife, who's given birth, and burst the window. But, uh, hopefully it's about ready to uh, but dislocating something, it's really painful. Think about this. Isn't the church described as, as the body of Christ? What happens, you see that the church is happening when churches get dislocated? They, 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 they separate from one another. Instead of fitting in together, each part in itself, all of a sudden, you know, that shoulder pain and lift. And the screams that follow when someone, if someone gets their shoulder popped out today, uh, it's pretty gut-wrenching to hear that. The Bible tells us this, that, that the reason we're dislocated, the reason that we're, we're disconnected, is a direct result of sin. It's the sin of the world that that happened. We kind of looked at this a few weeks ago. Remember the first dislocation was with Adam and God. There was a, a separation there, a break there. And then it went on to this closest, um, human contact with him at that time and that was seen. And all of a sudden fracture began to enter. If you're in your Bible that I'd uh, invite you to open up to Ephesians 4 and we're we're transitioning here. What I did with your notes this morning by the way is um, uh, I, I, I wrote a lot in, so it looks a little bit kind of uh, scary, maybe at first, but what I want you to do is not write anything during the intro. I wrote it all in there for you, so you don't really need to follow along, you don't need to necessarily take a whole bunch of notes from the intro, because I put it in there. But for three chapters, Paul is doing what his typical pattern is, and that is that he kind of likes to line up theology first. He likes to say um, some doctoral statements first, and they often transition into to how we acquire it, how we live this out. If you've been listening carefully to the scriptures carefully, there's all kinds of application in chapters 1 through 3, and you'll get actually more doctrine in chapters 1 through 4. But in essence, Paul's been telling us who we are in Christ, what God's been up to, and now he's moving into this idea. Now, how do we apply it? How do we live in this? What I love about the Bible is it's not just kind of this philosophy for living and for people who are sitting on a rock out in the wilderness thinking about philosophy there, but it doesn't apply to everyday life. God knew that we were going to live Monday through Saturday as well, not just at church on Sunday. So he provides for us how does this flesh out in real life. Last week we looked at kind of his transition from doctrine to, to now living it out. And he, he transitions with, with prayer for his friends, prayer for the flock that he leads. Remember it's better on these three things. Strengthen the inner man, that Christ would be at home in your heart, and that you would really know the love of Christ. I don't know if you're saying, am I the love of that song that we just sang? I don't know if you're saying that with a different fervor this week in light of last week's text. But, but I hope that you're not just kind of being fed on a Sunday morning and go, wow, that was really good and powerful, there was some good thoughts. You're like me, I did this for years. I thought, man, there's a lot I need to change, and there's a lot that God's Word showed me today that needs to adjust my life. And if you don't act on it, if you don't keep remembering it, if you don't keep meditating on that, what you do is you just get stuck. You kind of hear something great, and then you just nothing changes. And you come here on a Sunday, you hear something great, and you kind of nothing changes again. But so really meditate on this love of Christ. Now, the, the title uh, that is on your bulletin this morning is a kind of riddle. And um, it really has an answer in our text. And I'm going to kind of walk it through for you. Um, but, but it's right there in our text as to why your title graphic looks the way that it does today. 
And, and this is a little bit of the way we read scriptures, is that you can read it, and there's kind of a surface reading. But I mentioned last year, or last week, someone just read Ephesians for, for decades. And she said, I'm still finding the things. I'm still trying to understand parts of it. Which means there are layers that you go down. There's probably more than, than just your first cursory reading. And for those of you who um, are here for the first time in a church, I think you'll get something out of the book of Ephesians. But there are some in this room that have been going to church longer than you've been alive. And my, my hunch is this, that by the power of the Spirit of God, there's actually more to get from Ephesians this morning, even though they've been soaking with us for years. The whole series title is on the screen right now. It's this idea of one. And uh, there are different words that are showing up on that banner because in the book of Ephesians, that is a massive, that is one of the massive, if not the massive, overlying theme of the entire letter. And that is the idea of unity or oneness or connectedness that we started with. There's a lot of words from our graphics that you'll find in today's text. This, this text today is kind of this little central point to, to where the whole book is going. I want to read the, the passage we're going to look at uh, this morning. By the way, in the spirit of connection and talking about connected, um, I just want to make mention of our communication card that's sitting in the chair back in front of you. And this is a way for you to move from, gosh, I've been kind of attending, but no one really knows who I am. Even in a small church, it's possible to kind of flip in, but not really be known. Um, and we'd love to get to know you. We'd, we'd love to say, you know, we want to move beyond uh, just seeing your face uh, every week on a Sunday morning. And, um, we really believe that the Bible calls every single person not only to be known, but to know other people. Not only to be cared for themselves, but to be caring for other people. And not just to be shared with, but to be sharing with other people. And you know what's impossible to do? It's impossible to live out possible for your life, I believe. It is. It's impossible to live out God's will for your life and not be in community. Now, if you're already connected to another church, praise God, most of the that you're here, stay connected to that church. But if you're in a place where you just say, hey, I've been burned, I've been this, I've been that, I just say, uh, we'd love to get to know We'd love to find out your story and uh, connect with you. Let me read this passage and then we'll kind of unpack it again. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called for the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. That's right. Father, that's a lot of all, and that's a lot of one, and we pray your Holy Spirit um, enlightening this morning to sort through it and to see what it is, God, that you're wanting to communicate to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Our next part of the introduction, let me just throw a few words out to you. Um, the word therefore, uh, verse, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, um, to just get read over really quick there, I saw this guy who preached a whole sermon on therefore, and that Christianity is a therefore religion. But you see, if you started in Ephesians 4 and start to walk through it, you could really end up in a very pharisaical place. The Pharisees are people who try to earn their way to God. They, they try to clean the outside up 
So God will be the inside. And just comes along and blows that out of the water. That's not how you do it. You'll never get the outside clean enough to be accepted by a holy God. In fact, that's never how it was intended to be. But if you start in chapter 4 and you skip all the therefore, what happens is you say again, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, or bearing with one another. You know why we have marriage competency? Because you can't do that on your own. Ask anyone who's married. They tried. They thought, I'm going to be a romantic couple that will leave this house. And then they started talking marriage, and in the first week, they realized, so Christianity is a therefore religion because of all these things that are true of Christ. Because he's chosen you, because he's paid debt, because by grace you've been saved. Do not do work so that no one can vote. Now, go off and the word You see the difference? It's religion versus relationship, and it's everything. If you don't get this, it, it really falls apart. So that word, therefore, we're going to talk about something that is we'll move on. I do want to bring out this word, urge. Some of your, some of your verses have the word, entreat, which sounds very high to sight, and I like that. And another one says, I beg of you. So, urge, entreat, beg of you. There's a sense of urgency to what Paul is saying. He's, he's looking at his friends and he's saying, he's writing these things to them. And he's, he's, he's urging and he's begging them, and, and he, can't, he can't do these things for them. But you send to the tone of the letter. This is life or death. This is really important. I um I got the chance to watch a show this week called Minute to Win It. Minute to Win It. Minute to Win It is the TV show that's been on, and I I kind of talked with really the about it. Basically, taking helpful items and using them to uh, you know, have games and this and that. And I thought, that's a really big, low-budget skill. You know, um, as a youth pastor all the years, I thought, hey, what was the minute to win when I was around? But I was motivated to, uh, to, to watch it because this last Monday's episode, um, our friends were on Some friends that we know, some of you from this church, they had gone to Mexico with, uh, with Glenn and Julie Bishop. Glenn and Julie Bishop have five children. They grew up with the folk right now, Scottish Christian Church. And so I was until I thought, wow, it's not. There's too many times when my, you know, friends were on TV. You can also watch this show and see what's all about. So here's their five kids on this Wednesday, Monday night. And the actors did a special family night because of this family. I did the case of the family. I didn't do a family edition of the show because of the Bishop family. So here's what's going on with this. Basically, uh, these kids, ranging in college and 19, uh, down to 10 years old, um, are, are doing these things on a national, you know, televised audience. For, for money, and the money kind of gets incrementally bigger. You know, it starts off a thousand, and it's kind of like, you know, whatever, all the games are kind of move up bigger bigger. So we're going to watch this. Now, normally when I ever watch any kind of game shows, which is a bigger cup of mine, but I've seen before, I don't, I don't have my heart coming fast. I don't get nervous for people. Like, I'm just kind of watching, and I don't really care what they want, right? But here I'm watching the people that I actually know, I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of, you know, I'm kind of getting drawn into this. It was really a fun episode. So they're moving along, and they keep moving for their purpose. And they just, they just kept going with this. And it goes all the way up to a million dollars, okay? And, uh, and, and they get to, um, they get to this round, uh, where, where, um, there, there's a $500,000 limit. And, um, the, the youngest kid is, is Brad, and I know that they, they, they call him B-Rad. 
a lion tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies. How many are we out right now? Six, okay? So there's the six things. Now, what gets special attention? He kind of calls out this one extra one, right? There are 15 glories, so there's seven. Let's see what gets special attention. Here it is. And a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Put your hands up. There's the seven. Good job. Maybe it's seven. You know what the seventh one is? A man who breaks apart family. A man who's going around dislocating those who are connected. A man who's causing disunity. I mean, that's the one that gets special attention from those who are shedding blood and lying and being haughty, dividing wicked schemes, rushing into evil. Jesus gave incredible importance to the idea that we're one. Remember when he teaches them to pray? The disciples say Jesus teaches how to pray. The very first word out of his mouth is this Our Father. It's not my Father, it's not an individual thing. It's our Father, the one Father. And he was teaching them how to pray. He said, us being a community, us being connected, us doing the really hard part of getting along is massively important. John 17 is one of the other great passages on church unity. And in, in this passage, Jesus is our priest. And he's kind of like our pastor and he's praying for us. You know the big theme of John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ is unity. The big one. Father, would you, would you let them be one as we are? I mean, that's just a big theme. How important is being one? It's, it's massive in the scripture. It's one of the huge things. So how do I live up to my name? How do I do this? How does walking in the manner work of my calling? What's your calling? It's to be Jesus Christ here today. He left. We're still here. How do I do this? These are words you Let's look at it again. Let's look, look at your Bible. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, depending on how you count this, these are either three or four verses. We'll kind of, you can kind of decide for yourself, um, but let's kind of dive into these very quickly. The first is humility. Humility was thought to be a defect in Greek culture. In classical Greek language, that was a, a, a vice. It's supposed to stay away from it. Has that changed much right now? I mean, we kind of do lip service to thinking it's kind of neat to be humble, but it's kind of a dirty word in, in our culture as well. We're not that far removed from Greek culture that we can't identify with that. You know, Paul does, he grabs this word humble and makes it a virtue. He, I mean, this is upside down living. This is, this is the, the first of the last kind of thinking. He takes something that's kind of a dirty word and says, hey, this is a virtue. This thing that to strive after and to walk in is humility. Why does Paul start his virtue list with humility? What is the opposite of, of, of being humble? What do you think? Great power. Yeah. What does pride do to unity? It's in any company, on any sports team, the second that one person on the team 
begins to feel he's more important than the rest of the team, the rest of the team does well. They start to backfire about that. Who does he think he is? I mean, really, his part's not more important than, than my part. Now they're in fighting. Most of the team's not on Super Bowl today. Okay? I mean, we see this. We see this in sports played out uh, really publicly. But this is true in families. It's absolutely true in churches. It's true in politics. It's true in business. I mean, it's just one thing. It's, it's there. Humility brings unity where pride brings discord and division. You know why humility is hard? It's hard for a lot of reasons, but uh, it's hard because of what we're, we're learning today. We perceive that we've earned our way to this position. Therefore, I should no longer have to do that job. I have three brothers, and there was a certain pecking order among them. We're not that different from elephant field. You just can't be able to find a pecking order, and there's a certain thing that kind of goes on there. And there's a certain sense that I realized in, in late high school, probably one of the hardest people for me to serve was my younger brother. And I've been 17 years, um, um, you know, Kind of, kind of being under a couple of older brothers, and I think that's on my place over my, my younger brother. So I thought, hey, what would it look like for me to take the trash out when his job to take the trash out? You know what? That's hard for me? That's on the right not to take the trash out. And you know, if you think about it, I'm letting go of that. I'm letting go of this position. I've got it in the, in the text for you, but it's very, very small. But look at this, too. This is Jesus. It's a clear example of what he made up, of what he let go of in order to be humble. Philippians 2, 6 or 9. Pray of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not have to be called with God in the ground, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, there's that word again. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. If anyone has a right to demand position, status, it was Jesus. And yet he came and willing to be that. Next time you feel like, Lord, I'm really called to walk in humility, but I sure want to usurp that person and demand my rights here. I want you to think of Christ. And what's the manner, what, 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 what's the, the manner of our calling? It's a Christian who is bearing the name of Christ. It has the word love in the name of Christ. The next one is gentleness. I want to give a little test to you. You can just kind of call it out. I'm going to show you some pictures. You tell me that these people are gentle, another word might be meek, or it's going to be opposite of that. Okay? Let's take a quick quiz. Which way Opposite, okay? Gentle, okay? Opposite. I've lost all the general for a few minutes. Okay, so here's what's interesting. I would have answered exactly the same way and kind of not put this together. But because I put this together, I know the right answer. Uh, we kind of tend to think of gentle and meek as the one who has never gets mad. Let me go both in for a second. There's a little happy face next to the gentleness of meekness, right? And if this were a continuum moving over here, he's going to be opposite of gentle as a person who just flies off the handle of anything. 
Now, is that true? I mean, Mr. Rogers, I never saw Fred Rogers get mad at everything, or at, at, at anything, and I watched him growing up. He had all kinds of reasons to get mad at Dave Friday, but he never did. He kept his composure. I mean, he just was there, that little bird, I can't imagine that bird being mad. So we kind of think of this as Jonah, and this is the opposite somehow, but, but was it Jesus me? Was it Jesus gentle? Of course he was. So what if we're not continuing? What if we put it back kind of right in the middle of those two? Someone between never getting mad at anything, are you trying to be a little careful people? I mean, if, if those are in your family, one day they're going to blow. I mean, you know, I just like, I know that you're trying to die and stuff, but I'm going to stand over here and stop doing everything in your life. I mean, I don't want to hear you and I have a, there's something wrong with that. That's, that's actually really unhealthy. And, and, and it's really easy to stay away from someone who's just flat the hell all the time and get out. But Jesus got mad at the right time. We can look to Jesus as when you get mad and how to handle anger. God created anger. Anger is what motivates people to rush into evil places to go bring about courageously the right thing that can happen. So, I want you to change your mind. Right? That's what kind of goes. Change your mind about what it's like to walk in gentleness. It doesn't mean changing your shoes when you come home like Fred Rogers and just walk around like Fred Rogers all the time. It, it just doesn't mean that. And Jesus gives kind of a new picture for the enemy and says, No, it's not never being a or something saying, I'm not in there, it's the Lord! And it goes, Man, the Lord will be on your phone. And that's not what Jesus did. And so finding that, that, that middle point, finally patience. Patience can have the idea of, of never giving up or long suffering, or that's it, it also carries with it this idea a reluctance to avenge something. A reluctance to avenge. You wronged me. I thought it was right to go after you and avenge that. Or maybe seek revenge. But I'm reluctant to do that. I'm patient with you. Romans 12, 10, I put it in passage, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. What a fabulous passage. Only thing I'm going to say about patience in this virtue is this. Do you find yourself struggling with patience? No, no, let me say that in this way. When you find yourself struggling with patience, right? We all struggle with patience. Here's how I'm challenging you. Seek more understanding. You can write this out of the math formula. More understanding equals greater patience. The times I'm most impatient are the times when someone comes to me and I don't have all the facts that I have step into their shoes and view it from their perspective. People can be really impatient with someone who's holding a cardboard sign like this, asking for something. We're going to need to get impatient. And maybe unless you sat down with that person for about 20 minutes and just heard where they're coming from, maybe our, our patience level would change. Does that make sense? A boss is under a certain level of stress and lives a certain way, and, and it changes your perspective when you understand who, what they're going through and your patience for them probably will grow. Now, this is maybe a four corner, maybe this is an outworking of patience, but forbearance. Forbearance is putting up with faults, of course, knowing that you, you have your own. You're important people, you just are. I don't know all of them, I know some of you, and you know some of mine. But we're quirky. We have these very little things about us. 
And one of the great things about family is that you can't put on your Sunday best and, and keep that together, right? I mean, when you're a family, you just get to see them, that, you know, they're all, they're all hanging out. And you get to kind of see that. And you're a great greenhouse to learn about forbearance. Now, verse 3 is kind of uh, the manner in which we carry out these three or four verses. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's what I'm going to point out with this. Christians aren't to make peace, they already have it. Jesus is the one who, by the cross, has broken down the dividing wall between groups of people. It's already been accomplished. That's His work. Our job is to guard it. Travis, come here. Bring, bring, bring your, uh, your thing in. Yeah. Now, Travis has, Travis, Travis has a football game, okay? And uh, it's kind of fitting that you're holding a football That's that's a good thing. Now, let's say that you're handed that ball and you're running down the field. How are you going to hold it? Okay, you just change the position, right? He's off the line, hey, you're in here, right? Now, if you're running along, uh, what, what's happening to you? People are interested in me, so I'm coming. Now, the group of people that work together and they're now dislocated. 
possibly even functioning still in the same household or the same church building week after week, but they're not unified. They're not a functioning part of the body. Now, very quickly, we're going to close by looking at seven truths that Paul now kind of frames what this theory is going to look like. You wonder what you should unify over, what you should divide over? That's a great question. I would challenge you, go and learn what the gospel really is. Some of you have done this because you've moved before, and you've had to figure out what is really more in the church, what is really most important. I mean, do I need a bass player? I love bass players in the band, but that's really important to us. I can fellowship without the bass. I can fellowship without the other bass. But there are certain things that I say, wow, that's actually worth breaking fellowship over. Because these are fundamentally true facts that must be in place. I told you to do a bunch of numbers uh, today, and before we get into this, this is going to kind of help solve the riddle for you a little bit. I'm going to help you practice with more things. Some of you are teachers, and I may have been doing this, but bear with me. Uh, we were told several years ago about the idea of new math, and kind of a new math, and there was a shift in how math was going to be taught. Um, this is not long after the fact that Pluto was no longer fully in the current thing that went on. So, I was a little bit, uh, a little bit, you know, guarding my, my upbringing and whatnot. Uh, but a few guys were kind of talking to teachers about these things, figuring out what that meant. Um, and someone grabbed that kind of random, but I didn't make you grab that, which I did because they're freaking weird. So here's, here's something. Uh, great plus time equals a razor. That's right. Um, here's another one. Pirate equals upward, a thief, a boat, a banana, banana, minus a leg. Here's one. Death equals a nap plus a brother. This is where math just works. You start to figure it out. You know, man, start to. I like this kind of math, you know. Now that you're going to be a little hard. Yeah, very good. You guys got it. Alright, so, from that, from that little series is where I dressed up this idea of our title today. And I think it was a riddle that kind of contains in the text that we'll be able to pull out, and I'm going to pull them out right now. But Paul does here, I'm not trying to unpack this, it's just, it's really fascinating. He's good commentary, there's plenty of lines, we'll talk to you on one What Paul is doing here is he's actually revealing the work of the Trinity in these different statements. And what he does is he actually gives a prayer to each member of the community. Remember Jesus' prayer? And Father, I pray that they would be one, talking about us in this room and us with other churches, even as we are one. What are you talking about? What do you do in Christian faith? That's God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct, but one. Now what Paul does here, and again, you're going to have to take my word for it for now, and you can go do your own research and see if this is what he's really doing. But what he's doing is he's basically giving a word to each of the parts of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is up first, and that's why it's written in these uh, little triads of one, uh, another triad of one, another singular one, and all of those equal ones. Here's what I mean. First one is the Spirit. There is one body. One spirit, there is one uh, hope. The one body we're talking about here in, in, uh, in, in chapter 4 is the universal church. It's this visible community of the people of God. Isn't it true that becoming born again is a spiritual thing? 
There's no longer a fleshly thing that we do to become the equal God. It's a spiritual work. But it doesn't mean that there's not a visible component to it. And the, the visible component to it is this community, this body. And what we're seeing is people who are from one church, instead of being in community with another church, they're in competition with another church. Have you seen that before? Say yes. So there's competition going on. I have people all the time that want to talk to me and they, they want to they want to bag out big churches. You know, they walk in and perceive I'm from a small church. And they say, wait a minute, uh other than sisters are from a pretty massive church a couple miles from here. By the way, that's my home church. By the way, that's where I got saved. That's where I grew up in Christ. That's where God provided me with a wife. I love that church. I'm not an anti-big church guy. Those who hear from there say, oh man, the big church is where it's at. If you're a mega church, you're nothing to God. I go, I think that's really true. If that's true, then you know, there's about, you know, a hundred churches in, you know, in the world that are for God. And there are just, you know, thousands around the world that are. So, so we have these different dividing things that we like to do, but we're really in cooperation. Oswald Chambers, in a book called He Shall Glorify, said this. Just listen to this in line of Ephesians um, that we're looking at. When we are baptized in the Holy Ghost, we are no longer isolated believers, but part of the mystical body of Christ. God makes you go, what does that mean? I need to think on that a little bit. Beware of attempting to live a holy life alone. It is impossible. Paul continually insists on the together aspect. God has great love for us. This is all from Ephesians 2, by the way. Made us alive together with Christ. Raised us up with Him. And seated us with Him. Get the picture? That guy's so uncomfortable. I don't know about our religion and all that That's a private kind of thing. That's my own personal thing. You know, it's uh, not very viable. Mm-hmm. But that really isn't. If you're that person, hey, it's just being God. You know what that is most often, I think? That's just not wanting to enter into the community, not wanting to enter into a kind of and, and just be able to say, I think I'm going to kind of live how I want to live in God. We don't need to flesh out any of these other things that the word talks about. Alright, flying now. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit talked about in four B. Individually we're as well, but we fit together into a temple. This is what uh Jesus two talked about. Everywhere you go, you take with you, uh, if if you're one of God's home, you take with you the very presence of God. You are a temple of the living God. My Lord. My Lord is God. Now together, God's taking these individually loved people and fitting us together into this collective temple. A living picture of what it looks like. This is what God's doing by the way. I love all the prayers we're getting. Only in church do God take all these different misfits. You guys don't talk about you and me and fit us together under one roof, under one common focus. This is the reason that you can go to Mexico and you can have a you can have a similar experience from a Georgia State Salau or from a Juan and Alicia uh Trutman State. And there's a similar experience. They're telling me the same thing down in Orphanage in Mexico that my parents tell me back at home. What is that? That's the one spirit of God. You see, they're possessed by the same Holy Spirit of God. Because they trusted in Christ for their salvation, and so therefore we're partnering together. Get out of that. Get outside of NBC. Get outside of our country. Go worship somewhere else, and you'll see what I mean. 
They want to change by the way when it's totally different. I have people come alongside, put their arm around me and say, we're together and they separate and they start marching down the road and I go, whoa! Where are we not together on this? Because what you just did was you took Jesus and you de deified him. You're saying you're changing your change is deity. You're saying, remember, he's one of the many gods. He's not deity. That's not true. I'm not deity. So, we get the picture. Let's move on. There's one hope. We're unified in our holding as the same spirit is the same pledge for all of us. It's kind of a promise, right? What is our hope? Our hope is that Jesus is returning for us. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. He's not going to leave us abandoned. What's the resume? What's the promise? It's the Holy Spirit. So we're here fighting our hope. Let's move on. Oh, there's a lot here. There's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. This is Jesus' verse. The head over the body. Not many words, but one who deserves our all. Romans 10 says this, verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks. The same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus 1.22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things for the church. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ. There's one faith, it's the Christian faith, because there is one Lord who wants to trust him. Jesus, by default, this is what God kills, and he kills him. This is what will get you most kind of killed in our culture. Declaring Jesus to be the name to be saved. And when you say, there's no other name in heaven and earth by which someone can be saved other than Jesus Christ, that will get you a doubt. That will get you being treated the way Jesus was treated. In your life, you will have trouble up in Jesus' death. Alright, uh, what baptism? What are baptisms? The visual signal of this unity. It's I'm joining this team, and when I do it, I'm going to identify with my master Jesus as I go under the water, die the old self, but now rise to the unit of life. That's the picture of baptism. By the way, we're planning on having a baptism class coming up and some baptism. If you've been thinking on that, wonder about that, wonder about that, uh, I'll keep you informed. Finally, the one is the Father. He gets his words, but called out in one thing. There is one God and Father. This is the first problem of the Heavenly Father. Here's the big idea. I close with this. The big idea is that they're one and they want to be one. As the Trinity is one in God's work, Father, Son, and Spirit, we're going to be one in what we're about. And we'll pass that, uh, unpack that before coming out. I want to read for you now by, by way of illustration. Don't turn it, just listen to it, okay? Here this is. Talk about patience and humility and forbearance, eager to maintain the unity. One, this is uh, from Acts chapter 2, will be familiar to many of you. But it says this. Peter had just preached a sermon saying, Hey, men of Israel, you just killed God. That's really the heart of that. This one Jesus that you just put to death, that was the promised Messiah, and you killed him. That's a bold creature. He just did this. Some of the people uh, hearing this were cut to the quick, cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, they said, Brothers, what shall we do? And here's Peter's response. Peter said to them, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. He doesn't say, oh, you have to do anything. What is all a part of God's big happy family? He didn't mean to kill God. It's all good. He says very specifically, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And then you don't know what You become one. The book will be completed. And then you get to look out of the therefore that we'll read in verse 8 in chapter 4 of the and with many words, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about how many souls? 3,000. Do you know how many were in the room that they were starting with? Um, look around you. It's about this number, 120. There was about this many people there. Now all of a sudden, this thing exploded on the world, and 3,000 souls got saved. Everyone who heard it knows, just those who repented and were baptized and were filled with the Spirit. And they devoted themselves. That's how free verses. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That's an example from Scripture. What a powerful picture. Now, let me think what that was then. Let me give you a modern day example from the church in San Jose. This is a letter written to this church, right? It says, My husband and I visited your church on Sunday, October 10th, 2008. And I wanted to take a moment to share with you a testimony of praise for the love you showed us. We had traveled from Virginia to San Jose for a week so I could have eye surgery that Monday after church. We found the church online and decided not to miss an opportunity to worship God in a new place. Love that spirit. We were greeted by many friendly faces and welcoming conversations, a genuine desire to know us better. We really enjoyed the service, but were most moved by the group of people who stopped us before we got to our car and asked if they could pray with us for my upcoming surgery. Wasn't it a we felt the love of Jesus as we stood in that parking lot with the hands of complete strangers laid on us in prayer. We were even given several personal cell phone numbers to call in case we needed any help or had any questions about you. My husband and I have frequently talked about your church since and how you are a community to be modeled after. We were, we were shown such love from... Uh, from complete strangers who knew they would never see us again as we live on, on the other side of the country. You are a shining example of the way Jesus calls us to live. And for that, in my opinion, you have gotten it right. Blessings, Kelly Rowe. That was addressed. Dear Neighborhood Mike. That was here a few months ago. 
Now, before we break our arm and try to cut ourselves in the back, what is that? An act too high to where you can and does take place on a very regular looking Sunday. All things look the same as the other 48 weeks that you've been here, and then boom, something shows up and some powerful goes on, and you don't even know the impact of it. But it happens in the remnant of the churches. At the same time, we have a long way to go. I've talked with many from our church. Some of them are still sitting here, some who are hearing them. You know what they said? The first part they got right is that we were greeted by such people. We were welcomed in. We enjoyed the service. But somewhere along the line, we never really felt the love of Jesus. Now, is it always the church's fault now? Then people come and they are strictly a close friend and they're looking for an excuse not to join the church because of that. But you see how we need this one spirit to be in us, to dwell in us, to yield into that spirit, to even show this kind of uh, persevering patience and humility and forbearance.